Hey, what is up, guys, everybody? Welcome to the Middle Ground Podcast. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about environmental action and legislation and how we can reach a middle ground um, between two different viewpoints. I am the more left-leaning viewpoint. Uh, Quinn here is the more right-leaning viewpoint. So, Quinn, if you could just give a brief introduction on who you are, what you're studying here at USC, um, and why you came on today. Hey, I'm Quinn Weathers. I am a finance and risk management and insurance major at the Darla Moore School at South Carolina. Um, I tend to lean right on most things, more libertarian as a whole. Um, I'm not the most educated on climate change, but I'm willing to learn and I'd like to see more of a middle ground met between right and left on the issue. All right. So first off, um, the first thing that I really like to talk about is um, one of the big things that I touched on in the written version of my argument, um, the research paper would be talking about basically politicians on social media and fact checking claims on climate change. So like, what are your thoughts on fact checking on social media in general? Well, I think a lot of times fact checking can be kind of turned into who can spin the facts the right way and it turns more into do I agree with the facts you presented there's as you know there's tons of ways to present data and that data can be twisted to any way that someone wants it doesn't necessarily mean that it's factual even if the numbers are from a, a concrete source you know um for sure so I think depending on how it's done it can be productive versus just like you know seeing who can get above one another you know the gotcha moments yeah, like one of the major things that comes to mind for me on like the topic of sustainability was the whole Texas power grid issue where they had the really big deep freeze and the power grid started to fail. Um, and then there was a lot of conflicting narratives coming across where really like nobody knew what was the actual correct narrative and it really confused a lot of people. Um, There's some politicians blaming, you know, wind. Texas had invested quite a bit into wind prior to that. Um, so like, what are your thoughts on possibly like some kind of fact checking, like strict, like not like opinions, but things that are like directly, because I know like some politicians like Ted Cruz came out and directly blamed wind for the Texas power grid failure. Um, well, I think with an issue like that, there may be multiple reasons for an occurrence. It may have just been like the perfect, the perfect storm, like not, no pun intended, but um, I think like rather than like have you know like instagram and twitter they have like the independent fact checkers that they assign to something and people read that and i mean i think there are biases right and left in those fact checkers so i think when people read that if they're not educated on the topic they might think oh well that's the end all be all just because they fact check that i think a better way to go about it is to maybe pre present both sides of the story just give out a list of statistics so that people can kind of make their own decision about it I didn't personally follow that particular instance that well, but I know that like, you know, you had AOC saying, oh, if you would have had a Green New Deal, that wouldn't have happened. And then people being like, no, this, this happened because of stuff that like is similar to the Green New Deal that was already in place. Um, and to be honest, I don't think there's any way of knowing for sure, but I think people do have to recognize that sometimes things are just gonna happen and there's not really a policy solution for it. Right. So like how, one of the major things that um, I'm trying to just get out of this is how 
like solutions that we can put into place or to facilitate better conversations. So how, how do you think, like, I know you brought up the whole present both sides. How, how would that like work? And like, how would a social media go about like implementing that in your opinion? To where it's fair for both sides of the argument and there's like, we limit as much bias upfront as possible. I mean, I don't know if there's necessarily a solution through social media, like through the company itself. Um, Cause I think even that could get to be a fiasco. I think it, social media is already kind of a good place where that debate can happen. I guess just, I think as a country, we need to become more cordial about it rather than just like slamming things in people's faces. I think we need to all recognize that, listen, we view that we view this as an issue that needs to be solved. Why not like try to, I mean, debate is fine, but you know, you have to, if you, do you want a solution or do you want to be right? You know? So I think it's, about finding that common ground. I don't know necessarily the best way of going about that other than just like, um, you know, encouraging uh, cordialness in the conversation. Um, but I think um, rather than just like spouting off like a bunch of opinions on stuff, encourage people to, you know, like reference their sources and stuff like that. I think that can be helpful. So then, you know, someone can go check that source to, you know, see if it's valid or if it's being spun to whatever narrative they're trying to push. Yeah, you bring up a good point that I kind of want to go deeper in where you talk about, do people want to find a solution or do they want to be right? I feel like as of recently, it's really leaned towards like the want to be right. They want to prove the opposition wrong. They want to make the opposition out look stupid. Um, and what are your thoughts on like the direction that American politics is going? Not only like, well, mostly with an emphasis on climate change, but in general, that kind of motif goes across all policy of like hyper, hyper partisanship. What are your thoughts on that? Like, what do you, how do you think we can facilitate like a better conversation towards a solution rather than trying to make the other person look like the enemy? Yeah, I think it's exactly that. I think, you know, people nowadays, I mean, it's human nature. I mean, I do it too, but I'm, I'm sure you do it. Like you, you don't want to be wrong in a conversation. You want to prove your right. point and, and you have certain um, like morals or not morals, but views that you don't want to back off of just because, you know, you're getting pushback from it. Um, I think the problem, like you mentioned the word hypersensitivity and uh, hyperpartisanship. I, I think that's the problem. I think the founders of the nation intended for there to be partisanship. You know, we're not supposed to agree on everything. And that's only the important stuff is the stuff that's supposed to pass. Um, but I I do think the idea of, you know, hyper pluralism where there's just too many conflicting ideas or like there's two ideas that just conflict too much and no one's willing to budge. I don't think that's healthy. Um, I think it all stems down from the media, to be honest. I think a lot of times, you know, they say, you know, they want to demonize the other side. They want to say, well, this side believes this. And because of this, they're racist. Or right, they're, because it gets clicks. Yeah. And I mean, to an extent, you can't blame them because, like you said, yeah, it's a revenue booster. It's it's getting up that viewership. But I think you're never going to get anywhere if you don't view the same people that, you know, live side by side with you as people that, you know, ultimately, we don't want a messed up earth. We don't want climate change to keep, you know, happening to a, a very, you know, happening in the wrong direction. It's just we have different views on how to accomplish that. And I think that's we need to recognize that before we go into a debate. So I think it's the mentality that needs to change. Yeah, so you bring up climate change. One of the things um, that's been a rampant trend in the American society, especially, is denial in climate change. 
what are your thoughts on like the general climate change, like denial movement, people claiming, um, you know, a variety of things, the fact that it's completely false and there's no, like no scientific, it's just big science, like those conspiracy theories. And then the semi, like semi reasonable ones where they claim that it's a natural cycle in the earth and all like that. Not like the, not like the, basically the details of the conspiracy, but what are your thoughts on like, how do we get people all on board within like the same um, goal? Well, I guess, you know, overall, we need to make the facts more readily available and don't go too far and like, don't let your ideas on climate change be influenced too much by, you know, your overarching view on government. Um, well, and, you know, it should influence, but, you know, it shouldn't be driven by that, I guess, completely. Um, I think the problem is, is like, you know, this is a part where the right has failed. I think for a long time, the right you know, just said, okay, well, anything the liberals are saying, we're just going to throw out the window because they've, we think they've said crazy stuff on this. Obviously, climate change doesn't exist. I think we're sort of getting out of that now, just with like our generation, Generation Z. And I think mostly like millennial conservatives too, the few that exist. I think, um, I think, I mean, I don't personally know anybody that says no it doesn't exist at all i think my view personally is that it's definitely an issue i don't think the world's gonna end in 12 years like some people say um but i do think it's an issue i think the problem on the left is that yeah they definitely do believe it's an issue but almost like too far i think some people think if we don't have a complete government takeover right now to fix the issue we're never gonna get and we're all gonna die like i don't think that's a solution either so like you said that's i think we're especially on the issue issue meeting in the middle is is super important right i know um the main the main thing that people just really want um like in my i do think that like you're right on the fact that it's not like a pressing issue there are other issues that need to be dealt with um like first but i do think that starting that conversation getting that ball rolling is what we really we don't want to build like a too strong dependence on fossil fuels and stuff like that especially as we're transitioning um as we're developing um, as a nation, because we we've we're one of the most developed nations in the world. Um, as we continue to push, like the one of the things that I talked about in my research paper was, as we continue to push technology further and further, we can be that benchmark for the rest of the world. But there are other countries that are kind of passing America when America was that pillar of innovation. So, what are your thoughts on kind of trying to claim that pillar back in the terms of an innovation? Well, I think to an extent we are still leading that front. Um, especially in the climate change um, realm. I mean, we are the number one like country in decreasing our uh, carbon emissions in the last, I think, I want to say 10 years or 12 years. Um, I think the frustration, uh, at least from my side, is that, you know, sometimes it feels hopeless. Like no matter what we do, is China going to care? Is India going to care? Is... Um, I'm trying to think of other countries that, you know, Nigeria, South Africa, are these countries going to, Russia, are they going to do much to stop it? Um, because, you know, they're emitting just as much or more than we are. Um, yeah, you bring up I a think, good... Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, you, you bring up a good point there about um, these developing countries and the use of fossil fuels and stuff like coal. Um, what are your thoughts on the argument that it's not fair that we got to develop using coal and fossil fuels about bit based on how cheap they were and these countries don't get to and we're trying to push them towards sustainable energy? Um, I think that's a really good point. I don't necessarily know a solution to that. You're right, it is unfair. I mean, we can all be honest with each other. Fossil fuel, coal, 
that's it's all easier to use um for sure. and easier to obtain you know so the infrastructure is there yeah definitely um you know i think with the with those uh younger countries and those more developing countries um maybe they need to be given a little bit more grace you know with using that at first because i mean especially like i mean obviously like you're gonna have countries like china and india where they have these massive populations but a lot of times like they don't have these huge populations maybe there can be more lenience on that and you know their infrastructure and their um means of production maybe aren't all there yet so they're not going to be using as much as the united states like right off the bat um mm -hmm. but i think there can be international aid you know in order to develop that and that, i think a lot of that can be done through the free market and i think that's um the best approach in my opinion and you know going back to your whole like idea of the united states leading innovation i think you know the best way of doing that would be you know rather than the government regulating everything you know people people move off of incentivization they don't necessarily always move off of regulation if they're regulated to you know their wits in they're just going to find loopholes i mean you see it with tax codes i mean mm -hmm. people you know don't pay their taxes just because they're constantly finding loopholes the same goes for regulation on anything um so i think the government you know can have tax breaks it can have incentivization you know projects that it, it employs and uh, incentivizes people to further that research and innovation in this area yeah so on the coin of incentivization it's kind of like a double-edged oh well it's, it's it's a it's a coin essentially right on um, incentivization, there's also decentivization. Do you think the US government should de-incentivize uh, the fossil fuel industry and some of the tax breaks they get through, um, you know, like just some of the tax breaks they get, some of the subsidies they get from the uh, government? Do you think that could help accelerate that change a little bit? I think it's definitely an area to explore. Before uh, we said that, I had this chat, I was watching a video on, um, I can't remember his name, but he basically with a bunch of other Republican leaders and politicians, he um, developed an idea called, I think, carbon dividends, where there would be a uh, gradually increasing carbon tax, you know, talking mm -hmm. about the incentivization um, or decentivization, that's not word. Um, and then I think there was something about, you know, like the dividends would be, you know, not keeping that revenue that they get from the carbon tax, but instead giving it back to people. I do worry about that because a carbon tax or any kind of tax on that, that burden is not going to completely fall on the producer. They can increase price. They can, you know, the tax never falls completely on whoever it's placed on. It's going to be right. shifted around. It's going to be split. I mean, ultimately, people don't want to pay higher taxes. So they're going to, they're going to figure out any way they can, they can to not pay as high taxes. And, you know, especially with like an industry like in gasoline, I mean, that's a pretty inelastic thing you know, the producers know that uh, you got to put gas in your car. We can jack mm -hmm. up the price if the taxes are being put on us higher and people will still buy gas. So I think that's, I'm definitely, I'm definitely interested in exploring it. I think that's where liberals and conservatives can find common ground is, you know, researching the effects of that. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily jump full force into that right now. I think it needs to be looked into further. Yeah. And with these big oil companies, one of the major issues that um, I, you know, talked about would be holding them accountable for some of the things they claim that they're going to do. Um, there's a great paper written by, um, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he's a, he is a uh, Norwegian uh, researcher. He talked about oil companies and climate change. He, he identifies the inconsistencies between their marketing saying, um, this is what we do for climate change. These are the net 
uh, carbon emissions that we reduce and what they actually do. Uh, do you think that it's important that we have possibly some kind of government oversight on that? Because essentially these companies do control or have a large controlling factor in the narrative towards the American public on climate change. Should we hold them accountable for what they claim they do and what they actually should do? I definitely think we should hold them accountable. Um, I just struggle with the whole idea of government oversight. I think it can be done from a market approach. Like, you know, um, there was a story a few years ago, like with Volkswagen and their, um, mm -hmm. what was it? The, the, Passat, the, e climate, the, the EPA climate um, yeah, emissions. They said the diesel would run more, you know, um, right. like climate friendly. And then like, and they, they fudged been the cheating. numbers on their carbon yeah, emissions from their cars. Yeah, they've been cheating the machine and like it ended up it was not running as clean as it said it was. I think, you know, when the media reports on stuff like that, that makes people go, because I mean, you know, everybody's not wanting something that's going to hurt the environment. So I mean, when they see something like that, that makes them, you know, think twice, like, okay, well, I'm not going to buy Volkswagen now because they're just going to lie about that stuff. So I think it kind of self-corrects in the market itself. Um, I guess if something's getting completely out of hand, that you know the market is just neglecting and you know despite our encouragement of the media to report on it they won't or like people are just not responding how we think they should i think maybe we can have a conversation about government oversight but i think mostly the market can handle itself yeah um, one of the things that uh, also came up during my research and you bring an interesting point is like the consumer driven economy so with the bp oil spill bp release uh bp received a lot of backlash from the community a lot of people not wanting to buy from BP or anything like that. And there was also a fine placed on BP from the US government. Um, you remember that, correct? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, so yeah. that they placed a $20.8 billion fine on BP. However, 15.3% of that was tax deductible. So 15.3 billion was taxable. Do you think that should be something that's allowed? Or do you think you think that that's something should be allowed and that it's compensated by the consumer driven economy um, on BP and it's enough of a D um, it's enough of a negative, you know, uh, factor for BP to consider in their practices? Or do you think that full fine should be not tax deductible and that uh, that's what we need to de-incentivize these companies to basically cut corners like they did in the BP oil spill? Yeah, I definitely think they should be held accountable for that. And it shouldn't be you know, that should be allowed where they could deduct it from their taxes, especially when considering that, you know, that oil spill, if I'm correct, it was in the Gulf Coast. So that's not just affecting the United States. It's affecting Central America and, you know, the environments in Mexico. Um, so, no, I don't think it should be tax deductible. But like, you know, in that instance right there, I didn't know that they could deduct that from their taxes. Uh, so maybe, you know, that's my fault for not following that closely enough or that's the media's fault for not, you know. I mean, I, I didn't know until I was researching the topic. Yeah, and a lot so, of people, a lot of people don't do research on this topic. It's just what like mainstream media is going to feed them. Yeah. So I guess like making those statistics more readily available. And I mean, that's, that's on the government too, because they're not, they're not keeping themselves accountable. They're not, you know, holding up those standards. They say they're, they're holding up. Then that makes it seem like, okay, well, you're just doing this for looks so that you look like you care, but you don't. Yeah, um, and like another thing. I think that... with the with the whole de-incentivization, I think from the government level, yeah, just just sticking practice what you preach. You know, if you say you're going to do one thing, do it. Don't don't let them don't give them loopholes. Yeah, and um, one I feel like one major issue with that um, across all of it is people. You know, 
media is going to report, yeah, they gave BP a tax break when they shouldn't have stopped giving oil companies tax breaks, right? A lot of people on both sides of the argument don't actually understand corporate taxes or um, even personal tax. A lot of people don't do their own taxes. They don't understand it, right? Um, so there's a, there's a, that narrative can be spinned very easily. What are your thoughts on that? Because like that, that the knowledge of how tax breaks and how tax loopholes work, isn't something that's widely understood by a lot of people. So that narrative can be controlled by withholding certain pieces of information. Yeah, I definitely think that's a big issue. Um, you know, even if you do your own personal taxes, you still have no idea on like, you know, the taxes of Apple or, you know, these, these gigantic corporations. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. And I'm not saying that, you know, to give them the benefit of the doubt that, oh yeah, it's okay to find these loopholes. But I think it, that, that lets people not understand the full effect of taxation. I think a lot of these people that, you know, don't, and I mean, I'm not going to claim to fully understand corporate taxes. I don't, I just did my right. taxes by myself for like the first time this year. Um, but I mean, I, I do think I have a, a fairly good grasp on it. And I think a lot of people, when they don't understand like taxes impact on the economy and on the individual, I think they then think, oh yeah, taxes can fix everything. It's going to, you know, stop these terms from happening. And that's not always the case. You have to evaluate, you know, the long-term, short-term effects and, you know, from every angle. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time talking about um, the scope in which the conversation, the basically the nature of the conversation that currently exists right now. I want to talk about that conversation specifically and address the actual like climate change points that are up for contention um, to close out this podcast, just to get your opinion on some of them. Um, what do you? What are your thoughts on the the Green New Deal that's being proposed by the left currently? Um, I'll be honest, I, I really am not for it. It's it encourages a lot of government takeover and in, in the economy, and it it its price tag is absolutely astronomical. So it's not something I'm for. Maybe it has you know good intentions, but it's definitely not the right way about of going about it, in my opinion. Um, I actually, for the most part, agree with you there. I think one of the the great things about America is that we have an economy of scale. We can utilize that to bring down the price of some of these, um, you know, some of these uh, infrastructural elements and stuff like that. And it's not a transition where we can just flip a switch. A lot of people think that it is, but. Um, there's been plenty of research done on, you know, sustainable strategies and stuff like that towards transition. Um, and I really do think that we have to take incremental steps and that's just going to make it cheaper in the long run to transition. Um, so what do you, what do you think we can do like right now to essentially kind of uh, incentivize, incentivize green energy and incentivize that transition to kind of start? Because there is a lot of pushback uh, from the right to basically halt any progress on it, like starting. Definitely, I, um, you know, I don't have the full solution to this, and maybe there's not a full solution. I think that right, but just in your problem opinion, the right, is that you know the left, the left can we can say all day that the left is not you know giving us good solutions, but at the same time, are we really are we really proposing any good solutions that are in? You know, it can't be a one sided thing. Mm -hmm. um, Whatever approach it is, I, I think you can do it a lot through, you know, incentivization, as I talked before, um, you know, with I, I want to give tax breaks to oil companies and stuff. But if those tax breaks include, you know, stuff like you're providing your employees with their company vehicles are electric or um, you get tax breaks 
for you know decreasing your carbon emissions by a certain percentage or you know something like that um and then i also think you know we have a lot of government funded projects that i don't necessarily like being there but if they're gonna be there why can't we be you know giving out contracts to people for people to you know increase that research in the area of um of you know cleaner energy i think one area that's needs a lot more research is like nuclear so like i mean if you look at it just on paper it doesn't have any carbon footprint but you know i mean disasters can happen and then they the are rare waste has but to i be mean stored somewhere yeah so it's not like the perfect solution if it was we'd all be using it so i think you know you can do more research in those areas um i just don't think that you know like the green new deal wants us to switch like you know completely to solar and wind and stuff like that and says no fracking no nuclear and i'm not saying that nuclear and fracking are completely perfect practices they're not um, but i think there can be more research that's done into them i think you know it doesn't take into account that you know like wind power and solar power that has a huge it takes up huge swaths of land and you know it's not like I think the article I read said it on average is only available to like be producing energy like 30% of the time. And it just doesn't produce like you can get you can have, you know, like a huge group of solar panels or, or uh, wind turbines that's producing less energy in 4000 football fields worth of area compared to uh, a fossil fuel factory that takes up um, 15 football fields that's producing the same amount. So I mean, I think, you know, maybe like trying to get more energy out of those methods or even developing new methods it definitely needs to be something that from a government standpoint you need to if you're going to fund something fund that you know yeah you bring up an interesting point one of the things i touched on my paper was the argument of you know what's holding back uh, that transition i kind of phased out the argument of technology so the technology is there for the most part but you bring up an interesting point of not only technology in renewables but technology in nuclear because one of the major arguments is where do we store uh, the radioactive waste that we can develop or we can basically attempt to develop some kind of technology that can help with that some uh, advancements in nuclear um, and that's an interesting point because even though nuclear isn't 100 sustainable using nuclear as kind of even like a gateway drug to get off of um, oil or something like that could have massive benefits in terms of um, how we approach renewable energy. Right, very true. And I mean, I think like, obviously we're gonna keep advancing, we're gonna keep finding methods. You can maybe in researching one method that we already have and you know trying to further it, you're gonna find new methods. Like I know, like I'm currently in astro astronomy and like my teacher said something about like, you know, if we could ever figure out nuclear fusion on the planet, then that would be on like a, a ton of doors. I don't know anything about that. I don't know if that's <laughs> feasible. Probably not. But like, you know, I guess what I mean by that is, yeah, just keep, we got to keep, you know, advancing and unlocking those avenues. We can't just rely on what we have currently because it's not enough and it's not going to produce enough energy. If we were to, you know, completely, we can't abandon fossil fuels like you said today. It's not gonna, it's not gonna happen. It's not feasible. And on top of that, you know, fossil fuel is not just gas. It's not just energy. I mean, we use fossil fuels for everything. I mean, I think I was listening to a podcast where like some guy was saying like, fossil fuels are like in our shoes or like in microphones. Like you know, it's not. You you definitely cannot just take it away in one day. Yeah, it's one of the major things with taking away. 
Uh, moving on to the next uh, topic would be American jobs in the energy sector. Um, there's a lot of people employed through the fossil fuel industry and completely phasing that out would have an absolutely just detrimental effect on the American job market. Yeah, definitely. I think I read a statistic about the Green New Deal. Let me see if I can find it. They said it like upper ends, it could possibly wipe out about 5.2 million jobs in the industry sector. And, you know, you hear a lot of people from the left saying, okay, well, we might destroy those jobs, but we'll create like all these new jobs that'll replace them. And while, I mean, maybe that could be true, that's yet to be seen, but if it is true, you have to recognize that like, we need to be incentivizing private jobs way more than government jobs because ultimately who pays for the government job? The people. So you can't be having everybody working a government job. It's just not going to work. I mean, that's, that's stepping more towards socialism. Yeah. And one of the major things is, um, with that whole, you know, that thing about, you know, creating new jobs, it's a completely different skill set. And who's going to pay for that uh, retooling of the workforce, the reskilling of the workforce there? It's not the same as, you know, working in a fossil fuel industry. Like that's, that transition is going to cost money there. If we're going to do that, even if we do it through private, like to some extent, I don't see how that's going to be possible without the government incentivizing companies to train and reskill workforce, train and reskill members of the workforce in order to kind of fit that new hole that's being created. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the thing is like the market eventually will like adapt to this and it will do it on its own. For sure. I mean, the argument is that it's too slow, right? So like our goal is to speed it up in any way we can without, you know, infringing on rights and infringing on, you know, the freedoms of private business and stuff like that. Um, so I think, you know, like definitely like you say, like you're going to have to train people over time, but I mean, companies are, are already looking to, you know, have cleaner ways of doing business. I mean, even like stuff sure. with like Apple, like we think it's yeah. stupid, but like them saying, Oh, we're not going to include uh, what is it? The power brick. And the iPhones. I mean, uh, they had their they had their Apple conference just yesterday, and the whole thing, every single product that they released, they had an infographic on how they reduce carbon emissions in that product by over seventy percent per product. Yeah, I think that even the new Macs are like the shell is like all one hundred percent recycled mm -hmm. aluminum. Like that's huge, and people see that, and they're gonna want to buy Apple more because if they can get the same stuff for the same price and they know it's more green, they're gonna buy that over something that's not green just because it, I mean, it makes you feel good. I mean, everybody wants to, you know, do something that's gonna help the environment. So I guess, I guess that's the thing, like you wanna develop these new technologies. You wanna get more companies on board. You don't wanna demon, I think that's the big problem is a lot of people wanna demonize these companies like, oh, they're doing so bad. And I mean, sometimes, yeah, you need to punish them because they're doing something really bad. But I think, you know, you want to include businesses on the decisions that are going to be made for the country in in this in this realm, and I think you know with companies like Apple, Microsoft, and not just computer companies, but all around, if you can get them on board, you'll get you know the smaller companies on board, and then the market will adjust you know by itself, like I've said before. Yeah, so I'm not a hundred percent like well versed in this topic, but it's something that came up. Um, what are your thoughts on like corporate lobbying? from the fossil fuel industry towards uh, politicians on the right in order to get their agenda passed and their a narrative pushed on to the political party and creating this think tank to, in the best interest of these large um, fossil fuel companies. 
Yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> I think uh, lobbying in general is just a fiasco and a mess. I mean, it's it's like the same thing with like the dairy farmers. Like, why why do we all drink milk in elementary school for everything? You know, it's because of that lobbying and um, like you know influencing politicians to get their stuff passed. And I mean, I mean, that's what democracy is, is, you know, influencing your politicians, but it's not exactly fair. Like you say, when you have, you know, a billion dollar corporation throwing all this money that you can't throw into it, you know, to get things done. I don't know a solution for that. I don't know, even if you put laws in place, if that's going to stop it altogether, you know, it's just like campaign finance, like, you know, they've tried to put laws in place, stop that. They found loopholes. It's, it's difficult because it, it got even worse so i i don't know if there's a solution for that to be honest yeah it's difficult because um you know in a democracy as consumers of energy right one of the points i was brought up by a researcher is as consumers of energy we have a vote in american politics but the issue is those producers also have a vote right so mm-hmm. how are we able to still keep their vote their um, ability to have influence while pushing an agenda that's directly against theirs when they, they should have the ability to lobby, right? Like that shouldn't be something that we can outlaw. But the issue is to what extent is it like, to what extent is it um, like unlawful, right? To where it's the pushing of false information they're trying to push this narrative onto the political party um, and basically trying to get it passed through misleading voters, right? Yeah, I d- I mean, that, that's the big issue. You're walking the line of, you know, taking away the freedom of, you know, an, an individual group from lobbying a politician, but also like it is an issue. And I think everyone can agree that it's not good. It's not doing any good. It's, it's working against the, you know, I would say rightful agenda of trying to bring, you know, clean energy to the market. Again, I don't know if I necessarily know a solution to that. Um, I guess, you know, we could just hope that you know the more companies get on board with this whole um more green production of stuff that they'll just kind of go away from that if we can shift the social climate um you know of consumers saying listen we're not gonna like you want to get to the point where consumers are just like listen if it's not green or if it's not if, if you're violating you know the rights of others in producing this and you know in another country or if you're doing this in a way that's going to hurt the planet like we're just not going to buy and i think that if you can change the social climate a lot of that will get fixed but it's you know that whole idea of how do you change this the social climate that's a, a big test to take on yeah and with the whole thing about consumer uh, driven economy is um really they have a massive say in what these companies do right um because companies are going to go where the money is if you have a large portion of your market saying we want more sustainable options the company has to risk losing that market or risk investing a little bit more in towards, uh, you know, research and development R&D to bring and satisfy that market. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that that's the other thing, like getting people to actually like follow up on their beliefs. Like, you know, I get mad at, you know, what China's doing with their, you know, labor, how they treat their laborers and stuff over there. Um, I, I constantly say, oh, I don't want to buy Chinese, but then like I'll go to Walmart and buy 15 things that are made from China, like not even thinking about it. Um, yeah, and a, lot of, it, a, a it big part of that done. is a big part of that is it's just it's just convenient, right? 
it, yeah, it and normally like these um these places that you know not made in sweatshops all like that their supply chain is so complicated and so inefficient that it's so expensive for the end consumer so how how do we make that make that cheaper and make that to where price isn't necessarily the determining factor it's ethics yeah i think a lot of deregulation in the economy that can bring prices down a lot in america i I still don't think you're ever going to get it as cheap as China or For some sure. of these other countries where like they're paying their workers nothing. I mean, that's just basic math. It's just not uh, going to be like that. I think, yeah, you'd really, I mean, I hate to say it, but like, it, it's like that saying never waste a good crisis. Like you, you got to get people riled up enough about it. Like, you know, it's the whole thing with like uh, that Georgia voting law and how like all these companies started like taking a side on it. And I think, uh, Coca-Cola was one of the companies that said like, oh, this is uh, disenfranchisement. We don't support that as a company in Georgia. And then that ticked off a bunch of people and a lot of people just stopped buying Coca-Cola. And then, you know, Coca-Cola, they didn't retract their statements, but they kind of just like, you know, shut up about it and just kind of took a step back into the situation. Like, you know what, we're just not going to get involved in that because after all, Republicans and Democrats buy Coca-Cola. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's, a lot of it has to do with the media and what people are being fed. And I think just right now, you know, personally, I care about the climate. It's something that I want to fix. Is it my number one thing I'm worried about day to day? No. And I hate to say that, but if I'm being honest, it's the truth. Yeah, for sure. Um, we're, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Uh, you brought up some really good points. We had a really good discussion on climate change and the political landscape that it takes place in. Um, I'm Mir Patel. And this is Quinn Weathers. Thank you for listening. Thank you.